listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contractor. Now, this is what they call a, quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award-winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're going to meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27-chapter book of the same title, and it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. So, in episode two, I did my first professional job building a fence. And I got stiffed. Yeah, the homeowner wouldn't pay me. So I took her to court, and I got some of the money she owed me. I also got some important advice from a contractor that I had met, and he offered me a job building a recording studio. Jeffrey was hired as a common tradesman. Here is episode three, The New World. Late in the afternoon on my second day... I smelled smoke, and then my drill stopped working. Burned out the motor, said Mike. How is this possible? I just got it. Yeah, where'd you get it? Toys or us? Come on, you can't expect that thing to screw metal for eight hours a day and live very long. Yes, I could. I expected tools to live a lifetime, not to give out after a few months. Now, granted, I always walked past the expensive tools that said heavy-duty on them, and I chose the cheap ones, but the idea that a tool could be worn out simply by being used, well, that was something that I would have to get used to. This was the first of my weekend handyman tools to go. I could see that everyone else had the brands that cost a lot of money. I didn't want to spend $300 on a drill, but... I had to get a lot of studs screwed together in the next three days, and I couldn't afford any delays from another burned-out toy tool, so really what choice does a worker have? It's understood that you show up with your sidearms. That's a tool belt, hammer, tape measure, pencils, blade for your box cutter, speed square, and a cordless drill and drill bits. Just to get into the game will cost you about $600. Pay starts around $15 an hour. That night after work, I spent the 300 and got the drill that everyone else had. I must say, it felt good. It had a confident-sounding motor, sympathetic grip, and enough power in two batteries to work with me all day long. I had never before felt worthy of such a tool. In the back of my mind, I was still expecting to fail at manual endeavor, so I reasoned that if the tools were cheap... When I threw them all away in a fit of failure fury, well, no great loss. This time, however, an expensive drill was an investment in my future. I took a permanent marker and I put my initials all over the drill. The batteries, the case, just as everyone else had done with theirs. In the studio, there were identical drill cases lined up like homes in a subdivision. In lieu of house numbers, there were decals, paint spatter, gouges, scratches, names, and initials. I initialed my drill as I signed my checks. 
and it looked a bit flowery on a drill, and I woke up anxious about my choice. I was anxious that the guys at work would see my swirly initials, and they would, they would, would what? Laugh at me? Ignore me? Sneak off to lunch without me? Beat me up? I, I didn't know. I just wanted to fit in. I liked working there so much. I didn't want to be that worker nobody relates to and is the first to get laid off, like the nice guy with the bad breath. All my anxiety went somewhere else when I got down to work with my new drill. I'd planned out where I had to get to each day if I was going to finish by Friday, so I had the focus that I needed to push anxiety out of my consciousness, and in no time, I found myself in the zone. Greg describes the zone as that state of bliss where the worker, the tools, and the materials are one, and all the energy is focused on the task at hand. And in the zone, my drill was making her presence known. She felt smooth, she felt balanced in my hand, and of course performed much better than her plastic predecessor. Our relationship was off to a good start. I woke up Friday morning with a great sense of purpose. I would finish framing the walls of a major recording studio in a major metropolis in North America, frequented by major recording artists. Beyonce could bounce her butt against those walls with no fear of ever going through, thanks to me. Today would be the last day for the lazy pile of metal studs that had been lolling on the floor all week. Today was the day that every last one of them would eat. Today was the day that every last one of them would be yanked upright and put to work as a wall. By lunchtime, the end was in sight. I was whistling, and I was wondering why. I never whistled before. I stopped when I saw Greg weaving his way through the studio towards me. I got some work for you up front, he called. I followed him to the front where the foyer reception area would be. I want to get the drywall up in here by the end of the day. Make sure you cut out the window opening so they can see all the way through to the back studio, okay? Wait a minute, that'll take all afternoon. You said I have to finish the framing today. Fuck the framing, I'll get someone to finish it later. Well, I'm almost finished. Greg sighed and pushed his flax and hair back out of his eyes. Listen, it's Friday, and on Friday... It's more important to do something sexy for the clients to see than it is to finish the back wall. What, what, what are you talking about? <sighs> it's like this. After work on Friday, the clients and their staff will come up here to see how their studios are coming along, right? They want to see progress. Well, cable's being run and there's lots more duct work. I could see that Greg was getting impatient with me. Dude, that is not sexy progress. The accountants aren't going to go gaga over a cable connection. The receptionists don't care about your framing. At this point, they need to be getting a sense of their future workspace. So we're going to give them a few walls. When this space has definition, they will be able to imagine their future, like where to put the desk and the plants, that kind of thing. Ah, something sexy. It's not a fucking joke. At the end of the week, you always leave the client with something they can see and understand. They can't read plans, so if they can see it for real off the page and in their space, well, I avoid a lot of miscommunication. Oh, I got it. It's very clever. And you sweep the hell out of this place so that when they walk in here with their spike heels, nobody slips on a screw and sues me. Sure enough, at 5 p.m., in came the clients and their staff from the floor below. 
Oh, wow, it's so much bigger than I imagined. Yeah, we could put a coat rack in there. Oh, this is what you meant by a bulkhead. I couldn't picture it. Great job, Greg. It's really coming along. We workers repaired to the bar on the corner. On the way in, Stan handed me a folded check and said, Here, good week, and then pushed past me to the bar. I unfolded my check. On the line beside his signature, Stan had written, Casual Labor. A week-long bombardment of sights, sounds, and smells that I had never encountered up close before had kept me anything but casual labor. Aiming to please a laborer playing catch-up would have been more like it. I stood aside out of sight just to look at my check for a moment. I didn't actually make a point of stopping to mark the moment like you would if you were quitting drinking or something. It was just a quick moment of reflection. Sometimes when I see my dog lying at my feet, I'll suddenly regard her anew and marvel that I share my space with another species. So it was with this familiar, unfamiliar check. So it was when I walked towards the backs of my new co-workers sitting at the bar. Plaid shirts, hoodies, well-worn boots. It was all just too familiar, unfamiliar. I'd seen these guys in bars my whole life. And now I was one of them. The talk always returned to the job. The decompression time was longer than I was used to. The question got answered with a diagram on a coaster. Scheduling was reworked constantly. And when it was discovered that I was left-handed, there was a change of plan for the coming week. I was to help Stan put up 2 by 12 structural support beams. I would be hammering from the left. There was an interesting bit of talk about women. I almost missed it. It went like this. Did anybody hear those two? What, sexy in a tool belt? Yeah, she was doing the tool belt thing, but she was making these noises like rushing water or a toilet flushing or something, and then laughing with that other woman. I had heard these weird noises. Wait, I said, do you mean that the woman in the suit was, like, coming on to you? Oh, God, no, Greg laughed. She didn't mean anything by it. You're going to find out there are a ton of women out there who think it's okay to talk dirty to guys in tool belts. Seriously, I asked? Those office girls? Oh, yeah, and stay-at-home moms and women who work from home. But they have to be in groups. They would never do it one-on-one, because then it wouldn't be a joke. And Mike said, the other one was trying to make some kind of joke, but she couldn't stop laughing. Ah, let them have their fun, said Greg. It's all about people helping people. There was a lame laugh from all of us. And then Greg turned his direct, steely gaze on me, and he said, You never joke back with a woman, especially if you're alone. Monday morning was cold, and there were roofers pouring tar and gravel on the flat roof. To keep warm, they hung around the fire escape door, smoking, watching us, watching our tools. From the roof, Greg called down to me, You know what you're doing? I have to finish in the back, I called back. I got 12 studs to screw together. Ah, ha, ha, from the roofers. You don't screw studs, you screw chicks, unless you're a faggot. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Hey, those are steel studs. Careful you don't cut your dick off. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Hey, which end is the ass end of a stud? This guy needs to know that. Ah, ha, ha. <sighs> I smiled and nodded like an idiot. Nobody in the world knows how to deal with such Neanderthal remarks from a total stranger. 
Then Stan came ambling down the hall, dangling his framing hammer in his hand. It had an oversized iron head and a long wooden handle, looking for all the world like a medieval weapon. Stan is about six foot three, so it looks normal on him. You guys are so funny, he said, towering over the motley crew. I could just kiss each one of you. Moving closer to the lead joker, he added, After all, it's about people helping people, right? Sure, whatever, dude. And they all backed up the fire escape to the roof. Greg made his way back to me a few minutes later. Come here, he whispered. Why are you whispering? I whispered. Because I don't want those fuckwits on the roof to hear us. Now listen. I don't trust them alone with our tools, and you're the new guy, so you're the one who has to stay here at lunch and guard our tools. Cool? Uh, sure, I whispered back. But what should I do if I catch someone stealing something? Kick the shit out of him! At lunch, I had a look around to see where everybody had piled their gear. There were drill boxes and milk crates and tool bags and grocery bags filled with battery charges and sandpaper and extra blades and pencils and cogging nuts, things that they had been bringing in as they were needed. This sea of gear was worth thousands of dollars. I just had a tool bag, so I sat on it, ate some old Timbits, and waited for the roofers to take lunch. They came down from the roof with lots of fucking freezing and fucking froze my fucking nuts off. They were cold and they were miserable, but they were pleasant enough as they came into the warmth. I felt sorry for their lot in life, and I felt grateful for my birthright. They all passed by and headed for the washroom to clean up, and there was silence on my watch. And then there was a shuffling of feet. I didn't want to investigate, but I knew that I had to. I got up and I tiptoed around to where I could peek between the open walls. A head rose up from below the sheets of drywall, and the body followed, and in one hand was a hammer. I stomped around the corner, and I brought myself face to face with the roofer. And then I said, Put it back. His eyes told me he was lying when he said, I was just looking at it. Put it back, you cock. Well, uh, well, yeah, no worries, bro, but did you just call me a cock? Just put the fucking hammer back. The thief never stopped smiling. He deliberately dropped the hammer far from where he picked it up. There, he said. Happy? And he walked away. From the washroom, I heard, What? A cock? <laughs> Put it back, you cock! <laughs> Fucking faggot! Chevy Chase made a career out of being a weak, hapless boob. And to me, he was a deeply embarrassing character. He could have written my performance with the roofers into any one of his National Lampoon movies. Why would I ever say such a weak and ineffectual thing as put it back, you cock? I was feeling full on like a Jeffrey by the time everyone came back from lunch. We got you a BLT. What's happening? They were livid at my news. Each one checked their tools. As I had been the security detail, I was relieved that nothing else was missing. Which one was it? Greg asked. The guy with the neck tattoo. Mike was the quiet one on the crew. Now he punched a wall and he said, There's nothing lower than stealing a man's tools. One trade stealing from another. I'm going to fucking kill those guys. And then Greg shot up from his seat on the floor and he shouted, Hey! And we all froze. It was so startling. And then he said, Whatever happens next has to be one-on-one. I don't want a fucking brawl in here. Now, Jeff... 
When you caught the prick, what did you do? I told him to put it back. He dropped it and he left. You didn't threaten him or inflame the situation? All I said was, put it back, you cock. What? You called him a cock? Yeah, I, I, I've never said that before. I have, I've never called anyone a cock before. Yeah, no, not on its own like that. Cocksucker, maybe, but... <sighs> the roofers were gone the next day, but the incident had changed the working dynamic around the place. There was a much more protective attitude towards leaving valuable tools around. Tools that were not being used for a few days were now being taken back to their vans and locked up. The electrical crew had huge rolls of copper wire worth hundreds of dollars. They took to chaining them up at night. Stan explained to me that this wasn't a trust issue within our crew. We work together, we rely on each other, and we definitely trust each other. But we have all, including you, been getting lax about leaving stuff lying around for the taking. Now, there are new trades coming in here every day. There's a cleaning staff, there's a floor full of people below. You get the picture? Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. Everybody has a story about getting tools stolen, and there's one thread running through all these stories. They talk about mistrusting everyone around them, including people they've worked with for years. That's a situation you don't ever want to be around. It will poison a working environment, and it will bring bad blood to a job site. Greg came over. What are you guys talking about? Theft. Yeah, that was close. It's taken me about 10 years to get a good group of sub-trades that I can trust. But my regular roofers are residential roofers, so they don't do industrial jobs. This company had a good rep. I gave them a try. Oh, well, live and learn. What can I say? Nobody died. And I get back to work. Even with my eyes closed, I could hear and feel the rhythm for the day. First, the metallic whir of a tape measure being pulled out, then the snap of the tape retracting after the measurement is taken. Then the steady, plod scuff of a work boot walking to a pile of drywall, the hiss of a blade slicing the drywall, and the crack as the drywall is split to size. Another plod scuff walk back, then the ubiquitous oath, either fucking A if the drywall fits, or just fuck if it doesn't. And finally, the meow of a cordless drill as the drywall screws are fastened in. Then the whole thing repeated over and over and over again, a mesmerizing, steady rhythm that moves a whole job site into the zone. There's a special kind of focus required for a repetitive physical task, one which doesn't allow the mind to wander or worry. For the first time in my working life, there was no inner monologue going on inside my head. There were numbers an economy of movement. 98 by 36, mutter the numbers all the way to the drywall stack, measure, cut, carry the sheet to the studs, screw, next, 36 by 9 and a quarter, and do it again and again and again until there was a wall. Did I put the garbage out? What did she mean by... All these thoughts would have to wait until the studs were covered in drywall and the meditation ended and I could say a meaningful fucking A and end the day happy with my work. Before Vincent van Gogh ever picked up a paintbrush, he'd embarked on a number of careers. Working as a schoolteacher in Epsom, as an antique book dealer in London, and as an evangelical preacher in Belgian coal mines. And then he discovered his true calling in his late twenties. I was getting a feeling that I might have stumbled on my true calling. I felt at home in this dusty maze of crooked rooms, 
I was free from political correctness, diplomacy, and obligatory pleasantries. I trusted that anybody here would speak plainly to me if they were unhappy with what I was doing. I liked the people I was working with, and I was proud to be part of such a fascinating, creative crew, even if I was just building the walls. Sometimes I still couldn't believe it was me standing alongside those skilled tradesmen, those guys that are so intimidating to so many anxious homeowners. The stacks of drywall finally found themselves cut up and screwed onto the studio walls. "'You're done, Jeff,' said Greg. "'Pretty good work. I like your enthusiasm. Thanks.' You mean you're firing me? No, I'm not firing you. There's no more work for you, so I don't need you. Well, what about the the doors? The, they're baseboards. I can do baseboards, and I can do trim. No, you don't have the skills, and you're too slow. I have a whole different crew coming in to do the finished carpentry. Oh, I understand. Well, this has been a fantastic experience, Greg, and I, I thank you for all you've taught me. Yeah, right on. Keep in touch. His phone rang, and he went away. I began to gather up my tools. I purchased a lot of things for this job just to keep up. I got a two-step stepladder just to reach the nine-foot ceilings. I got a jigsaw because I was too embarrassed always borrowing one. I got drywall blades and knives and knee pads. I got a four-foot level, combination square, and a bigger tool bag. I was wondering if I'd ever use them again. And to my horror, I started to tear up. I was acting like this was my last day at summer camp or something. I could not be seen like this. So when Mike walked by, I said, damn, I got something in my eye. And I quickly went down the fire escape to the truck with my load of tools. I had to pull myself together. Being my last day, these guys would probably want to take me for a beer. I had to be cool for that. But they didn't. The last day was just another day for these men. When they left one job, they usually went straight to another one. Me, I just went home.